Tonight on Worlds of Tomorrow, we watched... 2001, A Space Odyssey! And lots of it. about that contest nobody's entered nobody's gonna win so i guess you and i are just gonna go to denny's um well this is a 25 dollar gift card which can be redeemed at uh chili's the macaroni grill on the border or even maggiano's i only know two of those uh yeah and well just to sweeten the deal Devin, how about we throw in two gift cards for 25 dollars each that's a 50 dollar value all you have to do is is tweet about the show or even don't tweet about the show send us an email at uh, futurespastcast uh, at gmail.com. Isn't that right? Yep. And if that's not the Gmail, well, you'll get a bounce back notification. And then you can tell us or complain to us on our comment section on the... Uh... And speaking of reviews, we still have only one review from Ian Vandeberg, who uh, supports my creative endeavors and um, has n- never listened to a podcast in his life. Uh, thank you, Ian. Shout into the void here. <laughs> I don't know that one. All right. We're never going to do any of these, are we? I mean, that's up to uh, you guys. Uh, if you need it or want it on other podcasts, uh, accessible apps, please let us know. Yeah, tweet to us about it. or tw- And tweet at us about it. Or tweet about the show uh, using the hashtag FuturesPastCast. Uh, or do literally anything we've mentioned the past couple minutes. And Can- you could get... And you, I'm not going to say you could get... You will be the only person to get $50 in gift cards to Chili's, Macaroni Grill, On the Border, or Maggiano's. So last time we kept this around an hour, but not tonight. Nope. Uh, in dedication to uh, Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick, we're going to do this podcast for three hours. Real time, 161 minutes. If you don't like that, go listen to something else. Go listen to 99% Invisible. NPR. I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> so in 2001, A Space Odyssey, uh, what do you know about the development behind this movie? I, I know nothing. Basically what happened is he just wanted to do something sci-fi oriented. His own words, uh, man's relationship with the universe. Basically ran into Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur C. Oh, Clarke. the guy, the sci-fi novelist. Yes, exactly. He did the novelization, maybe? Yes, actually they co- like basically they made that mo- the movie and he wrote the book at the same time. Stanley uh, and him became pretty good friends because of this and I think uh, Arthur C. Clarke, you know, continued the uh, the Odyssey. Uh, so basically uh, the book is done by Arthur C. Clarke, but uh, the film is directed by Stanley Kubrick. Uh, screenplay is also done by Stanley Kru- Kubrick as well as uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, mostly people will know Stanley Kubrick from uh, The Shining. But he has a solid list of movies. Uh, most of them are considered classics. Uh, Full Metal Jacket. Holy Jesus. Uh, a Clockwork Orange. Doctor Strange Love. And his final movie, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. So 2001 is regarded by some as the finest movie of all time. I didn't say all, but by some. There are well, people out there who say that. I'm told by a lot of film uh, school peers that it's apparently a, a requirement to watch it next to Citizen Kate. Totally. And uh, I can see why. It's a fine film, and it's worth watching. Yeah. I mean, we can do a basic summary of this, the plot. We should, because there's about 30 minutes of plot here in a three-hour... Well, we shouldn't say three-hour movie. Two and a half... Two and three quarters hour movie. Now, now Jet is making some quick jabs at uh, Kubrick and uh, Arthur C. Clarke, but they're not unfounded jabs. They're definitely... There's a lot of ominous music. There's a lot of 
subtext, and there's a lot of long pans. For example, the first five minutes, I was convinced that my computer was broken uh, because it was just playing a black screen while an overture played. Nope, that's part of the film. Yep, uh, I was also confused by that um, because I don't remember that when I watched it <laughs> way back then. But all of a sudden, I, I just heard music, and I was like, oh, I, mm, yep. Okay, this is the movie. Yeah, that was just that was just a feature, not a glitch. <laughs> and then all the symbols came up, and you realize it was the movie playing. And scene, what is the first chapter? There's four stories in total. The first one is a bunch of, not apes, but like proto-hominids. Well, it's the dawn of man. The dawn of man, of course. Mm-hmm. These proto-hominids are hanging out at the watering hole. Um, they get chased away by, it was like a jaguar or something? Or another well, tribe? Well, it's like a cheetah. And they're all dying out. There's some sort of drought going on. And uh, yeah. after like 35, about 30 minutes, uh, a big black monolith comes around. You guys all know what it is. You guys have seen this monolith. It's, you, you know what was interesting is I, I didn't play uh, Dead Space Oh yeah, it's before the movie, but it reminded me like of Dead Space oh, while sure. I watched it second time. Dead Space, I, I think it's I mean, uh, first of all, a commentary, Necroforce. because I love Dead Space, but also a commentary on how many pieces of science fiction owe their legacy to bits like this in Star Trek. Exactly. Late 60s stuff. Yeah. Uh, and uh, once that big monolith shows up at the ratio of exactly, well, I don't know if this was mentioned in the movie. In the book, it's very specifically like one to four to nine, which is how they know it's ma- it's it's made by intelligent life. I, I think the most interesting <laughs> part of the <laughs> One four. Golden ratio. Intriguing. <laughs> Uh, I think the interesting part about this scene is that you kind of see that the apes, you know, although it takes a half an hour to show it. Oh, uh, we're not joking. There was literally a five minute continuous shot of the, not apes, the, the hominids very slowly walking up to it. And touching it, smelling it. Uh, the way that they first found it was they woke up yeah. and it was there. It's just hanging out. So, of course, I, I like them, would be freaking out about yeah. it too. But I don't know if I would be aping out about it's it. It's just me. I'm an ape. <laughs> don't we all have the golden ratio in our design ignore me ignore me don't you guys want to go use some tools and kill that jaguar that was cool right <laughs> so basically uh from there the apes kind of like gain this newfound intelligence like their brain starts changing uh and you kind of see one one well, no, you don't kind of you do see a scene where the ape like one of the lead apes that probably touched it. It's not. I don't remember if it's actually explicitly shown that it's the lead ape that touched it. Uh, but he is at a body of a, a carcass of an animal, and he starts using the animal parts as tools. Yeah, they use them as a club and start killing. Yes, he. You see that they start eating meat because they start killing the local animals that they were like coast like living with. In the book, the hominids are both uh, modified genetically by it but also they're inspired by seeing this big surface they're inspired to use something like it as a tool this also reminds me of uh the dc universe oh uh, yeah have you seen which one like the ex- well the animated so uh what uh, for the dc universe uh there is the character vandal savage yeah he's the immortal guy yes but you know why he's immortal so basically he is a caveman okay he grew up as a caveman, he had caveman children, had caveman wife. <laughs> I get it. Okay. Uh, but anyways, uh, an asteroid falls from the sky and it's glowing rock. It kind of mm. looks like it might be plutonium, but you know Crypt- what? He's a caveman. probably kryptonite. Kryptonite. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, but he uh, goes up to it. Everyone else is scared, but he spends a night with it. Oh, is And that this is how powers? he gives, gains his power and intelligence. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's one way. I think, I think it was a, a, a specific film like The Death of 
Superman or the Justice League. Mm-hmm. But that's how they showed it in that. And it was, oh, really? it was very fascinating and reminds me of this. Again, it's just a testament to the iconography of this film. Exactly. Yeah, they, just, uh, the far reach of this film and how it's affected many other But that's, that is pretty cool that, yeah. uh, that they took that the, 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 the interesting plot of space object enhances mankind and made it into <laughs> space object makes Superman bad guy. Yeah, right. Basically. Going from there, they start to warring tribes. These hominoids are becoming a dominant species uh, among the other living creatures in the local environment. And uh, they beat them up. They win. The no, leader throws the stick. I thought it was a bone. Yeah, the bone. That's what I meant. He yeah. throws it up into the air. Boom, turns into a space shuttle. Guess what it is now, okay. bitches. <laughs> <laughs> and that leads us into the second act, which is uh, all about, uh, well, let's be honest, it's about naps. It's about, uh, yeah, the, the, there's about 40% naps in this. I'm not, we're not joking. I think it is about 40% shots of people napping on flights. Yeah, and I'd also like Also, to... o- the only women in the movie. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, as much as I love the movie, it's, it is not a diverse film. <laughs> this is... Yeah, uh, this local film... white man, British white man. Yep, this one's uh, Dr. Haywood Floyd, and he is, first he's napping, and he looks very peaceful. He's on a space shuttle flight to, to a space station. Yes. From there, he's going to head to the moon, and uh, we get some beautiful shots of fairly accurate space flight, um, from, um, from what I've read. Uh, he's napping. They've got, you know, free fall. There's a floating pen. You get the idea. Uh, if, if you guys haven't seen this, it's it's it, for a film that was done in the 60s, it's amazing how they did this. This is the part that I was actually surprised at, because yeah. I, I think everybody in America with a pop culture awareness knows the bit about the, you know, the, the proto-hominids throwing the bone up, and... They've all understand the, the, the pop culture lingo of yep. Big Black Monolith. Yep. Uh, so after uh, Dr. Floyd uh, arrives at the moon base, I'm sorry, the space station, there's a very quick bit where he spars verbally with a Soviet scientist about what's going on on the mysterious uh, moon base where they've been out of contact. Uh, uh-huh. At that point, uh, the women depart the movie and do not return. He- after another very, very long, beautifully shot, but exceptionally long scene of him getting onto a transport. Well, there's a woman in this scene. You're right. A flight attendant without any lines. Yep, and a very long walk. And it's very, <laughs> like a six, like a six-minute scene of her slowly walking. You could tell, like the, the he, like whoever shot this was very proud of the set design that they made. I mean, they should be, but it, it's like they they take their time. Yeah, they take their time. <laughs> those stick shoes, man. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, they have all these Velcro shoes instead of like mag boots from the Expanse. Uh, when he finally arrives at the moon base. Get comfy, because there's another shot of him doing some space shuttle shit. <laughs> uh, but eventually, they, they get to some plot stuff, and they've discovered another monolith. Oh, not another, but they've discovered a monolith. They've discovered a weird object on the moon. Yep. Now, the moon uh, currently is trying to act like it, there has been a devastating plague. So they're trying, basically, to cover up uh, any attention and don't have any people come there. Uh, so they can carry on with an experiment because of the monolith. Um, so the doctor is there. What's his name again? I'm sorry. Floyd. Floyd. Yeah. yeah okay. Floyd. Floyd. Uh, he is there to uh, observe and see what it is and analyze it. Yeah. When uh, they head on gets... down, they, they, they have a very long scene of everybody getting into a moon lander. Well, conference too. Con- and a long <laughs> conference. They head over to the uh, to the object. Then they start touching it. Yeah, they start groping at it. Also, I note that uh, unlike the apes, he's all for it. He does go to it slowly, but afterwards he's like, let's get some photos of this bad boy. This yeah, is sweet. Let's, let's touch this guy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and then what happens? Ooh, ooh. It's really loud all of a sudden. Ah, <laughs> yeah. ooh, oh, well, well this I, is painful. I, I, I think it's because they, they uncovered it and sunlight 
uh, hit it. Make. I think was the implication that like because it was disturbed, it activated. Right. right, 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 right. And it sends a loud, high pitched radio signal, which only young people usually hear, but they can hear it. Yeah. Well, it was two thousand one. They right. hadn't been using earbuds from <laughs> Apple devices, so it was it was okay. Right. Right. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And then we go to the third act. Which is all about Dr. Bowman and uh, Dr. Poole. Yeah. Uh, Bowman being the most iconic character in the red jumpsuit. Yeah. And Poole having the yellow one. Yeah. Ugh. It's always, it's always creepy. Red pool. <laughs> uh, and they are there's all there's other three other scientists who who, who don't do anything. And, well, it will because they're in stasis, right? And they're on a on a, the Discovery One spacecraft, not a space shuttle like the other ones, because this movie does a nice job with its scientific accuracy. There's no need for an aerodynamic look. Yep, it just needs to float and slowly go places. Looks like hot shit. In fact, it looks um. Have you seen Mystery Science Theater 3000? Of course I have. It looks like the satellite of love, where it looks like a dog bone. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and, and I realize, how, again, how much, how many movies owe, owe their shit to this? Oh, I was about yeah. to mention Spaceballs. Oh, oh it's, it's Spaceballs the incredibly too, yeah. long Dar- Darth Vader ship. <laughs> oh, it's... Dar- dark helmet ship. Dark helmet. Yeah. Oh, it's great, though. It, it really does look ugly as hell. Yeah, I, I honestly, every time I look at it, I'm like, do people really, like, actually live on that craft? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's like an Epcot ball at the front, and yeah, like, yeah. It's like a bunch of girders in the yeah. back. <laughs> like from Donkey Kong, it does not look like a good ship. Yeah, they've got, they've of course got HAL 9000, the heuristic algorithm something? I don't remember what it stands for. Yeah, that sounds about right. And HAL says he's incapable of error. You guys know this story. He's not. Uh, it's interesting because uh, they started off by almost introducing it, uh, the whole crew, as a news story. It, it was interesting to show like, oh, hey, we're, you know, <laughs> first off, it was interesting that they showed it as there's a seven minute delay. Which oh, is, and they mentioned they edited it out. Yeah, yeah they edited cool. it out. It was kind of cool. Um, and then they just talked to Floyd, or not Floyd, uh, Poole and Bowman, um, just basic information. And then they eventually interview Hal. And Hal's interview is so creepy. I almost can't understand how people don't, like, <laughs> don't get creeped out by Hal. They're like, oh, no, he's just a computer. The actor... Whoever did it, wow, fantastic job being creepy. I, I agree with you. Modern digital assistants are not nearly as creepy. And if they were, nobody would ever use Google Assistant or Cortana or Siri if they sounded like they were about to murder you. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I know I that in-universe, he's supposed to sound calming, but he, he's menacing as shit. Whoever yeah. the programmer was on that, the, U, the user experience designer has to be <laughs> the U, The UI. <laughs> yeah, the UX and UI guys have no idea what they're doing. Because the UI is just a bunch of screens and, and only voice commands, by the way. Yeah. Voice commands and walking into the, the core. And the u- user experience is mysterious red light that talks to you. <laughs> and, and, and that's it. All over the ship, by All the way. All over the ship, yeah. No other options. <laughs> oh, that was great. Uh, so the, the, the ship's mysteriously uh, on, on its route. We're not sure where it's going. Uh, and uh, Well, we know it's heading towards Jupiter. Right. And Hal says that there's uh, an error with their antenna, con- with like the, the communications. Yes. Antenna. It's 100% error. It will uh, fail in 72 hours. No guaranteed. They head on out there, grab it in. Takes a long time. Yeah. Takes a really long time. <laughs> it looks good, but it takes, again. Well, the podcraft is kind of cool, too. It, yeah, the, it, the small podcraft. The podcraft looks very realistic. Once yeah. again, yeah. they bring it on in, and it's not not working. In fact, it's totally fine. Yep, yep. Why? Why is this happening? They contact command. Command says, "You know what? Put it back in. See if it fails. Let's go from there." Uh, Hal says, I-, "I don't know what's going on. Yeah, we should probably let it fail." On its. I'm, I'm sorry. That voice was not Hal Nine Thousand. Hal Nine Thousand would sound terrifying. 
Yep. But he, Hal 9000 eventually says that, oh, well, I'm right. Uh, it'll fail eventually. That's that's weird. Hey, you know what? Hey, um, you know what? We should go have a private conversation. <laughs> Let's not talk. Because there's no way to turn off Hal. Because he is the ship. Uh, unfortunately, Hal can read their lips when they go into the EVA. Which is funny because I feel, that, but I don't think a computer should be able to read lips. Uh, so, yeah, seems like an oversight. I don't know. Maybe Hal, like, auto-generated that ability. I don't know. Oh, that's that's fair. That's but he does like of. analyze human emotions, so uh, he should he should probably actually learn how to do something like that, right? <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear you. But from what uh, the re- the lips I read, this yeah, is you, what said you said awful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they eventually get called out again. Uh, they're gonna go put it back. So uh, Hal knows that they don't trust me anymore, and they're gonna ruin this mission. And, and while I, I empathize in some ways with Hal. They go immediately from this mysterious object is broken and Hal told us to fix it and it wasn't broken to hell is broken and going to kill us. <laughs> we better we better fix this than deactivate him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like there's no chance that maybe the sensor <laughs> didn't work or like that maybe the readout had a glitch. Maybe they should just go in, blow off the, the dust from the fan, let him cool <laughs> off a little bit. He's overheating, man. I, I, it was Hal saying it's going to fail, but like, shit, man. Hal, maybe Hal's camera just couldn't see this, the dust on yeah. it going on. Yeah, like it, it, maybe he saw zero, the zero, zero, but couldn't see the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, it's, I don't know. 100% fun- 0% functional. <laughs> I mean, considering how all the computers look in this in this movie, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. Yeah. yeah, they're all very micro-screen, too. Yeah, they're very, the screens are very small. Yeah. I'm not surprised Hal couldn't see them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Poole goes out, and he's like, don't worry, you know, uh, you went and grabbed it, I'll go and put it back. Uh, while he's doing this, Hal, conveniently, uh, takes control of the pod that Poole used, Rams it right into Pool. Oh no, he goes flying. And this whole time, Bowman is looking at this and goes, "Oh God, yeah, why are you doing this? I have to go save Pool." He hops in his uh, in a different pod, and while he's out, uh, Hal kills the three guys in stasis. The Honorable David Bowman grabs Pool's body, but realizes he's dead and lets him drift off. Yep. Tries to get back in the ship, and we get the iconic lines: "We're going to need a bigger boat." We're going to take a moment here, and I'm going to talk to Jeremy Wonk here. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. The, the, yeah. Uh, today is our Independence Day. <laughs> you can say it. I have forgotten. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm, I'm afraid, afraid I can't, I can't do, that. do that. Jesus Christ. You can't do that, Dave? Well, it's, of course. You, you were stalling, you piece of shit. You forgot I can't do that? Yeah. It's like the only line you have to know. That or maybe, here's to looking at you, kid. And I don't even know <laughs> what that's from. <laughs> Dave, please don't do that. Is what I always remember. Dave, bro. <laughs> Dave, bro. Dave, bro. <laughs> There's a natty in there. Everyone makes mistakes. <laughs> There's a natty waiting Everyone for you. Everyone can change, Dave. <laughs> I think my my favorite thing if they did, if someone did a remake would be like to ice Dave Bowman. Oh, for sure. Like oh. he like pulls out one of the panels and it's just a smear off ice <laughs> and he goes, "God damn it!" Oh, and gets that... on one knee and just like raises a fist. <laughs> if there was ever a remake, you know that they would that they would. They wouldn't want to use that line, so it'd be something where, like, oh, they get ready to say, I can't do that, day," but then they have a twist, and, like, Hal's good. It'd be a shitty... The remake, whenever it does come out, is going to be shitty, is what I'm saying. Yeah, let's hope that just never happens. I mean, it'll, it'll probably happen. We probably have, like, a Strange Love remake. There's there's a script somewhere on a desk waiting to be made. I feel like it's only one of the greats that can do that, but then again, if it's, like, no. Steven Spielberg that does it, he'll ruin his Spielberg career. doesn't want to do it. Spielberg and James Jim Joe Cameron just wants to make movies about the underwater shit and, and avatars until he dies. He wants blue people. He wants blue shit. If you yeah. haven't seen it, Avatar Two has been pushed back five times. <laughs> <laughs> it's a conspiracy. I am listening to the podcast. About it. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, anyway, so, uh, so 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 he's dead. Uh, the crewmen are dead. He gets gets back in, explaining that your plan to deactivate me is going to jeopardize our secret mission. Bowman's goes. You know what? I don't fucking care. <laughs> You've just murdered everyone on the ship but me, so I'm going to take you out, take you out as well. Bowman doesn't really basically stops talking. I mean, yeah, he he honestly, this is like the weirdest deadpan acting I've ever seen because he just goes into full calculation mode of <laughs> this is how I have to kill him, and the whole time Hal's trying to to, to plead with Dave. Yeah, please do not kill me, Dave. Stop. How def? I mean, I know this is intentional with the themes of the movie. Yeah. But Bowman is is essentially a non-character, and Hal has so much character in these scenes. Well, yeah, because he actually is talking. Yeah, and I, I Bowman I, is honestly the he, robot. In yes. This. You guys have seen this scene. Uh, he re- he re- regresses like to his most basic functions and sings Daisy Daisy. Yeah. Uh, which I believe is because... Down voice. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. While he's pulling out all those isolinear Jenga chips to, to play <laughs> Jenga with them afterwards. Wait, what, what was what were you saying? About oh, I was going to say, I believe that it's because Daisy Daisy was like the first song they got a computer to sing. Oh, really? Yeah. Was that a reference to something? Wow. Yeah, that, I think cool. it was a reference to like the first song a computer generated. Huh. Uh, they made it play music and it was Daisy Daisy. That's interesting. Bicycle built for two. Well, after Bowman uh, straight up gangster murders um, Hal 9000, a pre-recorded message of Floyd, who was in the second part, comes off and basically reveals the secret of the mission. Once again, figure out what the hell this monolith is. That big sound was a radio transmission towards the towards Jupiter. Bowman didn't know this, obviously, and Hal did. Uh, so Bowman is now actually still going to go to Jupiter because that's the whole point of the mission. But Floyd suspects that it's this uh, similar monolith um, to the one that was found on the lunar surface. Yep. Ah. And uh, the Tycho Crater. So he basically hops in, in, in his pod and starts jetting towards Jupiter more and more. It's kind of weird because, at least Jeremy put it in... In it, the book, he goes into the monolith and says the line, my God, it's full of stars. Right. The monolith's like a portal in the book. It's like a doorway. Right. And this, that is not exactly what happened. You do see the monolith in space. <laughs> like, the they show just it hanging clearly. Out, like, flying, it's not like it's in space hovering. It's just flying, flipping around in space like a playing card. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just not, it doesn't have any goal. It doesn't appear to be in Jupiter's orbit. It's just, like, doing its thing. Now, the way Jeremy is describing it, it sounds like it's very quick. No, it's very slow, because <laughs> no, this whole movie is slow. But it's very good. Uh, the only thing that doesn't make sense is Bowman just kind of like all, it's like interstellar when they go into yeah. that portal, there's just like a split in like time and reality, but it doesn't like, it doesn't look like he actually goes into anything. All of a sudden you just see like a line down the center of the screen yeah, and then he and all you start seeing the trippy lights. Yes. I, even though he's in the orbit of Jupiter. I, again, I'm, people can interpret it however they want, but at least in the book, he's inside the portal and goes through to the nexus to see like other worlds in this He's just having a good old time. He's just like, oh, Jupiter's sweet. Yeah. It's the, a theme park. I, honestly, uh, I really hope that most people that saw this were high on drugs because they probably enjoyed this last Oh, I'm much. sure. Yeah. Other ships or things that might be ships. He sees evidence of intelligent life that, yeah. that's using like a transport network in this. Oh, no. Oh, no. Instead, we get a bunch of chroma key crazy shit. Uh, different colors, vibrant colors. It all looks very special effecty and good and oh. still lasts. There's in nothing. It's, it's just kind of him like experiencing like going through hyper light space. Yeah. And it's 15 minutes of that. And that's it. No, okay. No, no he, that's maybe, not it. No, then, then the pod's in the world's most Stanley Kubrick room ever. He hops out. Uh, he hangs out a bit. Um, he sees... Oh, who's that? Huh. There's a guy sitting in... 
it's me. It's me, and I'm old. And then he walks out saying, oh, where was I? And then he sees even older him. Laying in the bed. <laughs> now, uh, in, in the book, again, it's uh, he is only there for a little while, and he's uh, he's getting like hypnotized to go to sleep. It's like a room that was built by an extraterrestrial race to be the, the perfect place for a human to stay for a while. Yeah, As it, in, there's distilled water. Just there's It looks like a human room. There's Coca-Cola bottles, but it's not Coca-Cola. It's just distilled H2O, pure H2O, because that's what humans can eat. And a powdery substance, which is similar to bread, because that's what humans can consume. Instead, in this one, uh, Bowman spend, uh, in the book, Bowman spends about five minutes there. It's like five pages total. No, it's like 20 pages, and, only, and, and five of them are him taking a nap. <laughs> oh, this is throwback to Floyd. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all those naps. Uh, uh, Bowman quote dies of old age again. There's a shot of his his point of view from his deathbed, and the monolith is just there, like it's watching him. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's like dad, like son came to watch his dad die. <laughs> it's, it's really good. It's it's intense. Uh, it shifts to the monolith's point of view for a second, and then Bowman turns into the space baby. If you have never seen the end of this movie, no, we just it. ruined it for no, you. Well, they, they, you can't blame us for anything. First of all, nobody's listening. Second of all, they they should know. They've seen. They know about the space baby. I, I feel like there's enough enough pop culture references out there that if you haven't seen Space Baby, uh, and you've never questioned why Space Baby <laughs> was a thing, you you probably should at least go watch this yeah. movie. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting because like he's almost like what back at Earth, and he's just a yeah. big space baby. He's a big space. He's a big star child with deeply wise adult human eyes uh, staring at the Earth. The camera pants. He looks at the camera as if saying, what are you going to do, man? Where are you going? I, I transcended to a new form. What about you? And it cuts out. Come at me. Great film. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Uh, great film. And uh, clearly, as we all know, sequel bait for 2010, the remake <laughs> Contact. They just set it up so hard. I mean, yeah. And then you can definitely tell that, you know, with uh, a space odyssey, they're like, well, what about... The, the end so it's like well what about a final odyssey which right is 3001 when, when you yeah when you set up the word odyssey you mean that this is a this is a legacy franchise exactly we're it's talking about the odyssey expanded long. universe yeah and then odysseus joins in yeah yeah oh yeah it's a cyclical thing yeah <laughs> Mer- uh, we're talking merch a tv show on fox it's it, a great bearded men bearded men and humans it's gonna be great So, uh, let's talk about the big stuff. Yeah. Uh, what did they get wrong? Yeah. So, I mean, there's plenty. Uh, we uh, <laughs> obviously don't have a colony on Mars. We do not. The moon. Sorry. Yes, the moon. Yeah. Um, we do, we not... do have a colony on Mars, as we all know. <laughs> yeah, secret. Uh, <clears throat> but we don't have a um, livable. I mean, we do have a livable space station, but we don't have a colony on a space station. We yeah. don't have people like... In business suits on the space station. We don't have companies on space. It's strictly uh, like governments on the space station. Yep. But that's life. I mean, it's uh, it's it's not as much as I would like it. It's not true yet. Uh, we don't have a Soviet Union anymore, which, uh, I mean, in the late 60s, I suspect the Soviet Union seemed immortal. Um, yeah. We also, Pan Am hasn't invented the space program yet. Pan Am is out of business. <laughs> yep, they're <laughs> as gone. Of, as the 90s. Uh, no completely sentient computers in ninety in two thousand one. But we will touch more on that on the why. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we we do not have so no no HAL nine thousand at all. Even in twenty eighteen, our digital assistants are uh, a much less competent and b much nicer to talk to than HAL nine thousand. Oh, most most definitely. 
we do not have... Uh, well, actually, we do have a space shuttle, uh, which they depict. It's not used for commercial travel, but we do have a space shuttle. So. We, d- we do have the... Um, uh, what was the EVA? Yeah, we do have EVA we, we, stuff. We, we, don't, we don't have pods. I don't know how young or old that technology is. I don't know if that was like an invention in the movie or if that was I mean, just like been, a... They'd, they'd done spacewalks by then. No, no, no. I get that, but I'm saying the EVA itself. Oh, yeah. Like, was it like... Because it's basically used in underwater missions. The big pod, I don't... I'm, I, we don't have it in real life, so... <laughs> That's true. Um, the, the the voice print identification, also a no. Stasis uh, uh, chambers, also a no. Yep. Uh, the 10 digit phone numbers, that's a yes. Uh-huh. Uh, and video chats... Not in 2001. Actually, we must have had some video no, chat had services. Skype. We didn't have reliable video chat the way we do now with services like Skype or Google Hangouts or Duo or Discord. But We did have we, IM. We did have IM, and I think we did have video chats in some capacity. They might not have been in this commonplace, but... Uh, we yeah, had, not commercialized, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I will note that people don't like to talk each other to each other face-to-face in 2018. So perhaps they got that wrong, that you would willingly want to talk to people via video. Okay. And you could just you're, text you're, them instead. Right. Yes. Although I guess a man talking to his daughter, that's different. Yeah. I mean, my dad talks to my niece all the time through video chat. Oh, that's adorable. So it's kind of... I, I think it makes sense in that context, sure, but like, yeah. you're not going to call your wife every time. Every time, like, it's video. FaceTime. Did your uh, does your dad do what what uh, Floyd does and fucking yell in the camera like an old person? Yeah, sometimes he does. Who's your babysitter? <laughs> he, Why don't you get her? Go get her. Where is she? Where's mommy? And I just love how he's like screaming. The f- the funny thing is, my niece is almost comparable to his daughter, just oh, because yeah. like very distracted <laughs> and very much doesn't answer your question. That kid was played by Stanley Kubrick's daughter and she did not give a shit. <laughs> yeah. He he could have like asked her to do everything and she wouldn't have never done it. Dad, I don't want to. Dad, I just want to go home. <laughs> yeah, that kid was clearly not nearly as interested as Can the actor. Can I go play with my Barbie with or yeah. dinosaur toys, please? It's 1968, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And God, that, I'm so tired, Dad. Yeah, yeah, that kid was not interested. And I, again, I just love how Floyd, I think that is something they got right, that old people will still scream at uh, at whatever video or voice service. Like, that'll make it better. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so although we don't have video chat, I think that they, um, in 2001, I think that we, we do have it. So they got that part right. Yeah. Um, they We don't have uh, space travel, but we do have... Well, we have space travel. Well, I was going to say, we do have paid space travel. Uh, we don't have... it. It's not commonplace, but you Okay, can you're talking pay. about, like, luxuries. Right. I'm okay. just saying that isn't... That well, is, I was just saying, like, you know, we sent probes all everywhere. That's space travel. <laughs> right, that's fair. The proliferation of voice recognition in 2001 was nowhere near what it needed to be. You ever play Hey You, Pikachu? Uh, yeah. I think it's a piece of garbage. Yeah. They, it would totally misread your commands all the time. You ever play the Lifeline, the uh, the PS2 game? No, I've never played. Good, that. it's pretty. <laughs> it doesn't understand a word you're saying either. Yeah. Although yeah. I think part of that was um, was that it was made for the Japanese market. Oh. And uh, because and like American syllabary is different from Japanese, so <laughs> yeah. like apparently in the English version you would have to, instead of saying go over there you'd have to say go over there. With like a slight Stagnant. Japanese accent <laughs> yeah. to, to get it to register, like two syllable words. Yeah, everything had to sound like like One Japanese, to two like like you're yeah, like you're doing a Japanese, a slightly racist Japanese oh. impression to get it to register. Oh, that's me. In short, two thousand one, we didn't have voice recognition the way we do, but we did have it. Yeah, and I think it's pretty close to what uh, we're getting pretty close to what they depicted in the movie in twenty eighteen.
In short, I think they got a lot more right than wrong. This is by far the most accurate movie we've seen. Except for maybe The Sixth Date, which does almost no world building. What? I'm confused. You just said the opposite of what you're... No, no, no. No, no. I, I, I'm serious. Like, this movie gets a lot more right than wrong. I think that their vision of the future, aside from all the space bullshit, is far more accurate to 2018. How so? Well, come on. The way they live is dominated by technology. Right. And if Kubrick's film has one thing, it's technology and its role in the world. Right. Uh, they uh, have all these long-ass scenes of docking and the glorifying and really showing <laughs> off all the tech. And that goes on, you know, forever because it's, you know, they're, they're portraying this this victory of machine over man in a way. Kind of like kind of like today, they they do a fantastic job of showing this interconnected world. Floyd calls his wife or his daughter via voice chat. But you think maybe I, I maybe, think they got I, that all right. You think they got that right in two thousand one though? They got elements of it right. They got yeah. the idea of an interconnected world that relies on technology. No, we passed the hump. I I agree. There there are things. Obviously, we don't have the HAL nine thousand, but we do have a lot of what HAL nine thousand is composed of. We have facial recognition software. We have. Uh, voice commands. We have all these other things that they are eventually learning. I think that the way that it's used in depicting the film is perhaps the most accurate we've seen yet. So what did they get right? Oh yeah, Uh, well when Floyd shows up at the space station initially, uh, he goes through like a checkpoint. That's right. He goes through the proto TS, the, the, the TSA. Yeah, it's the future TSA. It really is. It's and like what's the, your state, yeah. state your, your name, your business, your occupation, and why you're here. You know, back in the '60s, you could just hop on a plane. Yeah, you could. You could. You, uh, people could meet you at the airport at where you were docking. <laughs> yeah, like, but now we had so many hijackings. But yeah, but nowadays you can't. You can't do that. And of course, it's not like the future where we're high tech space traveling. We're still doing what we did, you know, 50 years ago. But, like, the point is we have become more secure and more totally. cautious. The uh, the ships, I think, aside from the spaceships, are decently accurate. They predicted the space shuttle, right? Because it's a shuttle that can go, it's a craft that can go both in atmosphere and out. Yep. The, 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 the nap flight he takes. Uh, they get the cockpits right. I mean, back then, flights were, like, mostly analog. And yeah. today, uh, and by 2001, I mean, you've, you've probably seen the, the interior of a cockpit. It's Completely filled with instruments and glass panels and computer readouts. Yep, 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 yep. Um, also, funny fact, uh, he's watching a movie uh, every time he's asleep. Oh, yeah. That's... I didn't even realize he was watching an in-flight movie. That's true. Yeah. I don't know if that... That probably came before the, the 2000s, but... Oh, I'm uh, sure, yeah. But it was there. What's your favorite movie to watch in a plane? I mean, I don't have, like, one movie. I watch whatever movie I can watch. Oh, yeah. Basically, whatever garbage is on. Yeah. And mostly because uh, most of the time, a, a flight, in-flight movie will be one that I don't want to spend money on. Uh, <laughs> and I've already spent money on the plane ticket, so I might as well watch the, the <laughs> shitty movie that I don't really want to watch. Yeah. Just to just to say I watched just it. Just to say I watched a movie. Yeah, exactly. Like King Arthur. Ooh, I watched that one. That was rough. <laughs> uh, the Flophouse Podcast's host, Dan McCoy has uh, his own category of movie recommendation. That is, movie to watch on a plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. I can, I can get behind that. Yeah, it's a very specific level of quality that's not good enough to watch on your own, but not bad enough to skip. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. my, uh, quick side note, my, my brother refuses to spend money on the movie Pixels <laughs> because he doesn't want to spend money on Pixels, but he does want to watch it. He's just waiting for it to go live onto a streaming <laughs> service. Um, oh, man. Uh, phone numbers. We use 10-digit phone numbers. Uh, I don't know if it was in 2001, but around that time we were switching over. Yep, yep, yep. 
international and whatnot. Uh, they play chess against Hal. We had chess computers back then, and by 2001... Oh, we had chess... Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I believe by 2001, we actually had computers that could beat chess masters. Oh, easily. I think that was actually in the 90s. Yeah. Straight. Yeah. Uh, the Soviet Union might not be around, but a lot of the companies still are, and they have similar okay, roles. Yeah. IBM still makes... Well, they don't make personal computers, but they make uh, high-end solutions, mm-hmm. sort of like Hal. Oh, yeah. Doesn't he go to, like, a Hilton hotel or something? Oh, well, yeah. There's actually Hilton. Uh, there's, like, a... Oh, on the space station, right? Well, on the space station, there's the Hilton, but there was also, like, a... a, a, a what is it? Like, a housing agency. Yeah, that's what right. Was it? Those are still around. Yeah. So, although they didn't get uh, the idea of video chat right in, the, in 2001, they did get the idea of a portable computer. Do you remember that scene where he's watching, like, a, a video on his, uh, on, like, a tablet? Yes, uh, well, well, there's a few people. I mean, uh, Floyd, I believe, does it, and then also, uh, oh yeah, Bowman Poole does it. And Bowman Poole. and Poole, yeah, yeah they, they're right when they wake tablets. up and they're eating their their space food, which also doesn't exist yet. But um, <laughs> yeah, they're they're yeah. watching the news, the local news. Yeah, and uh, BBC actually, in, in BBC Twelve, <laughs> something right, like that wrong. Right, right. ESPN Eight, The Ocho, and BBC Twelve. <laughs> the, the 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 dirty does. <laughs> the, the dirty does is on now. Uh, so although they might. Uh, so, so that although they might not have gotten uh, that bit right, I think that they got the, the the portable computer that you would watch videos on. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You think that was right though? I, I think, think so. I think yeah, they predicted it, but it hey, wasn't right. Hey, two thousand one, we were watching. I definitely had a laptop and I had a CD player. That's I, that's fair. That is fair. We didn't have the iPad or the the tablets yet, but that was that, that, was that very tech was soon very, to come. The tech was very close. Yeah. Bit tape. Okay, so uh, as you may know, it was recently the 50th anniversary of uh, 2018, right? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, there was actually a really interesting uh, New York Times uh, like celebratory uh, article. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written by Michael Benson. You can find it basically on the website. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Um, so he kind of looks at what they got right and like looks at like the technology aspect. Ha, huh, ooh, I wonder who uh, who else does that, huh? Yeah. But one of the, the things that I found most interesting was um, uh, in, in an interview that Michael uh, Benson was referencing. It was the of the uh, uh, screenplay uh, writer as well as the uh, oh, novelist. Oh, Arthur C. Clarke. Ar- Arthur C. Clarke, yes. Um, uh, going back to Dead Space, the, the guy who Isaac Clarke is named after. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, uh, basically, um, Arthur C. Clarke kind of uh, had an interesting concept on the on what technology was doing to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the interview, they asked him if uh, technology was dehumanizing, and that's in quotes, humans. And Arthur C. Clarke doesn't think that. He actually thinks it's uh, superhumanizing us. Uh, technology is actually assisting us to be almost better. See, that's really cool. I think that's a really strong theme in the movie. It really shows through. Yes. Technology allows the apes to... to not die. Yeah. Technology allows them to find the 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 the, the brick. Yep. Yeah. 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 And uh, it lets them. Uh, it lets it lets them survive. But it, but it also causes a problem for them. How how's I don't know. That's interesting. Well, it, it's interesting because um, he kind of goes into a bit more of uh, the next evolution. If you look at uh, the apes, the apes are evolving by using tools. The right. tools is technology. Technology is always going to be there because we're just always going to develop it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually learned this in a lot of my communication class, classes, but, like, uh, technology is a tool. It'll always be a tool. Right. Um, the next step for the apes was using that tool to uh, insert themselves as being dominant. Sure. The humans were already dominant when Hal came around. Hal was inserting himself to be dominant. Right. So right, what's right. the next step for humans, then? 
I don't know. Uh, I guess humans to dominate the machines. Exactly. And in what way to do best? Probably integrate the machines with humans. Oh, right. So that's kind of where he, Arthur C. Clarke was leaning. Sort of uh, going with interview. that transhuman, post-human thing that uh, the Star Child. Exactly, exactly. Uh, becoming something more. So I find this interesting because a lot of uh, areas, uh, psychology, communication technology, um, socialization or sociology really look into how uh, the media has affected us uh, but technology in general has affected us right uh one uh, and and i've written a lot about this as well but um uh uh, walther uh who is a well-known communication uh professor who's uh still alive i might add because you know sometimes these guys are you know writing in the 60s and they have passed (laughs) um he uh has his own study uh, which kind of looks at how um, communication online uh, is a hyper personality. Well, go on. What do you mean by that? Uh, so uh, when you use technology in an email, let's say, um, it was originally looked at as being very Im- impersonal, very sure. objective based. Uh, uh, Floyd yelling at his daughter. Yeah, <laughs> <Over> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like no emotion. Like when you send a text message, if if the person doesn't know you all that well, they don't know how to interpret that text message. Mm-hmm. It could be. You know, you are misspelling words. Uh, you're not using grammar correctly. Uh, there's a there's a million factors behind it. Well, uh, that person probably doesn't know exactly how to do it. But if you're telling them how to do something or to do something, you're probably going to listen as long as, you know, maybe you're an employee or some mm-hmm. other thing. Right. Uh, then there's hyperpersonal, the development of the technology, um, you know, becoming more personal with the technology, with people. Oh, sort of let it giving you an extra layer of intimacy with someone. Exactly. Well, Walther <laughs> theorized that um, there was hyperperson. Mm-hmm. Well, more more to the kind of super, you know, um, humanized uh, technology that uh, Arthur C. Clarke is referencing. Um, almost like we're, it, with technology, we can have a better conversation with other people. Uh Walther kind of looked at it as since we didn't have face-to-face contact, um, we didn't have nonverbal cues. Mm-hmm. But also at the time when he was doing these studies in the 90s, um, a lot of this technology was instantaneous or very quick. Not all of it was instantaneous, but it was it was so quick that it was better than mailing something in the mail. <laughs> sure. You could talk to Australia in a matter of minutes while... If you had to write them a letter, it was weeks. Sure. So the idea came about where it was a condense of time and space, which is so prevalent within oh, for sure. Space Odyssey, that's, which that's you brought up earlier. Absolutely. The way that they move really quickly, the way that uh, the what the little we see of the world is all about how it's uh, it's, it's it's interconnected. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, the whole ship's run by one system. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep wow. Yep. So uh, there's so much here that... Um, you know, is fascinating. I know we are, we riffed on this movie a lot. I know that we laughed and made fun of how long this movie was, (laughs) but there is, you know, so much about this movie that is great in the sense of they, they nailed it on the head. Yeah. And there's a lot more to even think about. I'm with you there a hundred percent, man. I think it does a really nice job of, of showing a, a surprisingly believable and surprisingly close future. And I think that the feelings that they had back then, of uh, of using computers uh, to to better and really transform the human race, I think that uh, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm very curious. What about you? What are your thoughts? 
Well, I think it's a great. Uh, I thought it was a great film. Would recommend. Uh, we're a review podcast, right? Uh, I give it uh, five angry badgers or whatever we do in our shock jock, whatever. Uh, four out of five banana peels. Four out of five banana peels. How many tomatoes do we give it? I give it four tomatoes. Is four raw tomatoes four, and then one rotten. Four, yeah, four raw, one rotten. No, it's a great film, and I think that the way that it, it looks at humanity is really interesting. And uh, yeah, it's it's worth watching, and it's uh, definitely the most accurate we've had so far. Yeah. For next time, you chose 2001, a movie that you love. Yeah. I'm choosing my favorite movie. I'm biased. We're going to watch RoboCop. Uh, yes, I agree. But you know what we have been tracking down? We we, we, we have a, a lead. Oh, yeah. Of course. We, we're we going to watch LA 2017 Steven first. Steven Spielberg, please. Uh, Steven Spielberg's first directed feature. It's going to happen, guys. I, th- I think I, I found think... a good legitimate length this time. It, 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 it's running. It, now is the time. Yep. Now is the time. But after that, we're going to watch RoboCop. Uh we don't have an exact date, which is intentional, but we're going by some of the all, all of the games, which point to it as being in uh, in uh, the, the the dawn of the new millennium. Yep. So. Yep. 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 All right. Uh, thank you so much uh, for listening to us. We'd like to just remind you to rate and review us on iTunes. Yes, please go to uh, World of Tomorrow podcast. Uh, and Give us five stars, the appropriate number of stars. Yes, please. Uh, (laughs) You would never vote less, right? (laughs) You want to give out our Twitter and Gmails? Yeah, and you can tweet us at futurespastcast. Uh, Remember, we do have those gift cards available. $50 worth now. Come on, you can get it. I know you can. I will name names. (laughs) They're building up, man. (laughs) And you think we're joking. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, we'd just love to hear from you guys. Yeah, please. In the meantime, uh, I look forward to RoboCop. The original 80s version, of course. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, thanks a lot for coming out, man. This was a good time. Yeah. Enjoyed. I hope uh, everyone at home enjoyed as well. All right. Well, uh, Dev, this has been Worlds of Tomorrow, the podcast where we talk about futures now past. Uh, thanks for listening today. I'll see you tomorrow.